What's white all over, tan inside, hates dead baby jokes, and loves the Red Sox? Me. My dad's from El Salvador, but my mom and I are both white massholes. Or at least I identify as a piece of shit from Massachusetts. Honestly, the tan jeans didn't stand a chance. She's Irish, from Boston, grew up watching the Bruins. She's a twin, and they were both cheerleaders. It's like some towny version of a Sweet Valley High character, just one who'd punch you in the face for talking trash about Bobby Orr. But love is love. So there we were, Juan, Judy, and little Sean Alexander Crespo, or Seancito for short. If I had come out brown, their words, I was told my name would have been Juan Alejandro Crespo. But I didn't, so we went with a Caucasian version. See what I did there? When I was still young, we all lived in El Salvador at my grandfather, my poppy's finca, a coffee plantation. <laughs> the Latin side of my family owned a plantation. What? Looking back, that obviously seems like a very white thing, because in America we have a lot of unpleasant history associated with the word plantation. But this was El Salvador in the 70s, so owning a plantation meant barely making a living and finding yourself on death squad hit lists. We left El Salvador abruptly one night when my name and the names of my parents were found on one of those lists. We said a hurried goodbye to Aunt Cheche, Uncle Chamba, Mama Tere, Cousin Nikki, and a slew of other relatives and friends. We moved back to Massachusetts where I fit in exactly not at all because I didn't speak English. I, this guy talking to you, Sean from Boston, only spoke Spanish. If you've seen me and you're hearing me now, you know that there is nothing caliente about me. I am super white. I am the portrait of Dorian Gray of races. The more the world celebrates diversity, the more I become this bland, out-of-touch, unhip white guy. I'm prog as fuck, brah. But my tastes and comforts, that's what I mean by white. Like, I just, I look like the sort of person who got into Arcade Fire this year. Like, oh, have you heard about these guys? Nah, 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 in the month of May, they are rocking. And yet, my first language was Spanish. This little, white, Boston-based bowl haircut grew up hearing my tan dad yell, Dame la mano! So we crossed the street. Was told, Te quiero mucho! by my white mom as I was tucked in. And, Fuck the Yankees! by everyone else. For kicks even, my dad, once in a while, if we were among his fellow El Salvadoran expats, he'd have me repeat something I didn't quite understand. So for years I thought, Oy, 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 vieja putas! was the punchline to some hilarious joke. Because this room full of Spanish-speaking guys would crack up at this five-year-old saying that. But I was so afraid of being different in the 80s in Boston when I started school that I begged my then-single mom to stop speaking her fluent Spanish at home. I begged. I begged. On purpose. Single mom, waitress working six days a week. She was too tired to fight, man. Every goddamn thing. It was too much. Not her fault. So I lost an entire language. I thought I would blend in better. Wrong. It made me know myself less. Therefore, I was less clear. I was murky. I had vague borders. I was ill-defined. For me and for others. So now, I don't speak Spanish. I sound like this. And I look like, uh, well, like that guy from Psych, James Roday. Just a little fatter. A little? Anyway, our show is called Stupid Human Suits. But suits have two sides. The outside everyone sees and the inner lining. And for both me and our guest today, our non-white ethnicity is almost all in the lining. Though truth be told, I think he had a better tailor. Maybe I'll see if the laundry guy down the street can hem my whiteness for me. Nice guy. His name's Carlos Abre... Wait, uh, Abramo... Smith. His name is Carlos Smith. This is Stupid Human Suits.
stupid human suits. suits. Welcome to our <laughs> episode of Stupid Human Suits. Um, our guest today is John DeVore. You Thank can you. follow him on Twitter at John DeVore. Yes, please. John is a writer and editor who's won two James, James Beard. Beard Awards. Is that how you have to say it? Yeah. James Beard. Big ass fries. <laughs> He's won two James Beard Awards for an essay he wrote about Taco Bell and his mother. He has previously been the managing editor of Team Coco, the managing editor of TrueTV.com, editor-in-chief of Fox's Internet Action Force, where he once made the stellar choice to hire me. He's written for the New York Times, GQ, Esquire, Cosmopolitan, Marvel Comics, Vanity Fair, the New Republic, New York Magazine. He has appeared on NBC, CBS, CNN, wow. and MSNBC. NBC yeah. and has been the sacrificial liberal on Fox News's late night talk show Red Eye for seven years. Wow. Uh, welcome, welcome, John. Let's do it John. Uh, New York Post's IAF. What did we say? Oh, you just said Internet Oh, Foxes. <laughs> yeah, because oh, re- it was at you the remember, Fox building. Right, you, yes, but you um, remember New York Post. I correct that. New York Post Internet Action Force. All of them. All gone. Um, <laughs> thanks all for having me. Thank you. Thanks for making it over. That was a wonderful snow. introduction. Yeah, it was very long. Was, Sean it, wrote it. it you was, can tell. It was, it was <laughs> like it was like right before I die, <laughs> a list of all the things that I have. We'll that miss I have him. Done. We'll miss all the work he did at NBC, CBS, <laughs> CNN, and everything. We have no personal recollections of him, but here's none. his CV. What's we, CV? We will, we will miss. Is that his CV, Carol? <laughs> that would be wonderful. We just go to, go over your CV in a funeral. <laughs> um, yes. So, what's yeah. up? Uh, uh, Sean, do you have any questions for John? Or yeah. No, this is it. I just wanted to talk <laughs> for right, a guys, while. Thanks a lot. It's been great. I did not know. Mm. I completely spaced. Yeah. Because I got a text from Carol this morning going down about some of the stuff we're going to talk, and you mm-hmm. put secret Hispanic in there. <laughs> yeah. Which, I, you know, you know, when I read it, I was like, sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. I completely forgotten, that Sean, that you and I. Yeah. You and I, you are in some ways my brother in so many weird ways. Yeah. You and I know. We know a lot of the same weird people. From different. Yeah. Uh, like little bubbles from different groups, but I had completely forgotten. Oh yeah. That I forget about you. I forgot that you were too. And I, I when it, I was reading your, your it's story, your, it's your father. Yeah, my dad. Okay, so and it's he, your mom. Right. So my dad got the barrio fever. <laughs> my dad yeah. was uh, met my mom because he was moonlighting in Juarez. As a professional wrestling ring announcer for Lucha what? Libre. You're, no, you're making that. No, up. and my mom, my dad was, I guess, in his early twenties. My, my my mom would have been 16, 17. Yeah. She was allegedly a hellraiser, so my my granddad would force her to go with him to the wrestling in Juarez from El Paso. What? And my dad saw her, and like from the the ring. Kind of went like, you know, the lady in the front row, please see the announcer after. Um, and that's how he met her. Your dad, though, your dad at some point was like, that's a good looking white woman. My Well, that's, my mom was the one who was traveling. She was on some world tour with her friend. She went to like Italy for. Uh, like backpacking? Or sort of, Jesus-y. sort of. No, no, okay. my, my my dad's the Jesus he won. She went to uh, Italy for a little bit, and then when she came back to the States, she wanted to go down to uh, Guatemala, and she met my dad in a nightclub where he was singing, because my dad was this, like... Central, a pop star. He was kind of a pop star in Central America for a while. Um, and people, once in a while, I still get emails, like, are you Juan Crespo's son? I was like, yes, and I'm not going to get into it, but yes, go away. Good luck. <laughs> He's a very nice man. He's very confused about a lot of things. But it's a, it's an odd thing, as I, as you were just uh, talking to, remember that. Yeah. Because that's an odd thing to have in common mm-hmm. with somebody. It is. And, uh, well, you know, we were talking about 
it's this is uh, another layer of of bubble bubbling in like the vent uh, 3d venn diagram of all these bubbles coming together uh the place you're working now is a place that i wrote uh some copy for for a pitch to them for a company run by a guy who has my same name and is also a secret hispanic his name is sean uh, Crespo, he is a he's taken a, a different last name for uh, a reason I forget. But his name is Sean Crespo. He doesn't speak Spanish. He's ta- he's tan though, and you would think he would speak Spanish. But he has the same basic story of I don't speak Spanish, and I you know I grew up with this, but I this whole culture. But I'm I'm kind of an outsider. John, do you speak Spanish? I do not, and I thought that was an interesting. I it, I, I don't think it is uh, unusual for second or third generation to lose the language. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually I would be raised outside of D.C. Uh, in, in Northern Virginia, uh, and there were just, you know, at a certain point, you know, I didn't want to learn Spanish because none of my peers did. Yep. And then I think my mom just kind of gave up because there would be no one else for me to speak Spanish with right. other than my mom. It was mm-hmm. just a bunch of rednecks um, who occasionally thought that my mom was my housekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I, you know, and, and one of the stories that my mom likes to bring up jokingly and with some hurt was one of my birthday parties, you know, and she had gone to the, you know, to the effort of getting a pinata, which no one had ever seen a pinata. They were like, (laughs) what is this awful doll? Um, But I remember somebody asking me if that was, you know, uh, my, my housekeeper. Oh. And I, I said, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my. Uh, I'm a little kid, yeah. you know. No one, yeah. little children. That happened to you too. You know, I, that I, happened to Megan, our producer too. But, I, but, but I think that <laughs> is one of the, that is one of the things about uh, biraciality, and you know, is that you know, you don't, you don't, you, you're neither one or the other. We have a racial yeah. binary, and so uh, being biracial um, is something that I think is. Um, yeah, like confusing. It's very confusing. You know? I've struggled with that for years. Just, I don't mean like, what a struggle. I just mean in terms of how I think about myself, I can't present myself to the world as like, I'm Sean, the Latino. <laughs> it's, I'm this dude, I, like I grew up, you know, I grew up as a white dude in Massachusetts. Half right. my family happens to be from El Salvador. Uh, and, you know, I saw dad every other weekend, but that's still a legitimate half of my family who I love very much and care about so you can't really talk about it with something I was going to ask you later on is like has is this something that has happened to you because sometimes uh like when it when uh, if I find myself like at an audition or something or or just at a party and I I wind up talking to somebody who does speak Spanish who actually is either first generation or like is a, if they're second generation they speak the language and they're very much a part of the the culture if I wind up saying like, oh my, you know, my half my family's from El Salvador, there's this. Sometimes there's this like, uh, okay, I don't know what to do with that because you're a white guy. So why are you bringing well, it up? Uh, there's that aspect of being an outsider. Yeah. Um, you know, because I will, and I and I covered this in that bizarre essay that people liked about Taco Bell, <laughs> um, which you know, one thing I, I one thing I, I wrote in there that I like to bring up with people is, you know, the thing about President Obama that was meaningful to me was that not that he was African American, uh, but personally, and this is just personally, that he had an experience of what it was like to walk around with a parent who was not your color. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always going to be that kind of outsider sort of thing. Sure. And the only thing my biracial, as someone who is a white man, yeah. which I am, yeah. uh, the only thing that that the only the only thing that makes that a little special is I know what it's like 
to not be embraced by the Latinos. You know, my, my brothers are darker than I, a little yeah. darker than I am. I have a lot of family that, that you know, that mm-hmm. you look at them and like, oh, they're, they're, they're Mexican-Americans. Yeah. Um, and then, and it's something else I covered in that uh, essay, when my white friends uh, would to discover it, then I also change for them. Mm. So I have a sort of, you know, I, I'm aware of my privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that degree. I, I remember once... In college, not uh, clicking the white, you know, the ethnicity. There, there was no, there's no option for biracial. I could not yeah, put right. white or in Hispanic at yeah. that point, and I put Hispanic. And I remember talking to someone at the university, being like, well, you, "You want money?" <laughs> <laughs> and and I was like, "No, I don't," because like I I get in. Yeah. I have access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know people, uh, family, and others who who might need help, might need financial aid, might need mm-hmm. help because they're not going to get the immediate access that I know that I get right. because I've seen it. I've seen people regard my treat my mother differently until I walk into the picture. Yep. I've I've just I've seen it. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. it, and it's not from a place of any kind of particular wokeness. It's just <laughs> yeah. as I've grown yeah. up, I've just known that, you know, I, I don't always fit 100% in either sort mm-hmm. of worlds. That's what I mean, yeah. Was that an ever-present thing for your mother? Um, you know, the idea, you know, she's walking around with a, a white son. Um, like, did she get a lot of flack for that or just a lot of weird looks consistently? Or was it kind of every now and then? Well, again, you know, it, uh, skin, skin color, it's amazing we still talk about it. But, like, look, even, even in the Latino community, there is prejudice internally between those who are more, you know, sp- uh, whiter, mm-hmm. lighter skinned or more mestizo, darker skin. Um, I don't, if... I don't know. I, I my parents would talk about how much more difficult the religion was. My mom was Catholic, my dad was Baptist, um, and and certainly culturally, while Latinos and Mexican Americans were second class people in the Southwest, like you know they yeah. we invented te- you know my, my my joke is that. In like in 1836, my ancestor went to bed in Mexico and woke up in Texas. That's <laughs> that's the story of Texas. It's occupied country. Um, um, so while it was it was frowned upon, there was a large culture of of, of race mixing. Mm-hmm. I think in the Southwest, um, but none that she communicated to me. No, mm-hmm. I, I whether consciously or not. Th- they never made it. A, they never politicized it or made it a thing. It is how. It was, um, and and look, you know, my dad, who was great, and I loved him. He was a depression kid, fond of the kind of racial Don Rickles humor, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, and 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 that was informative to me because, like, my dad could make, you know, the hackneyed ethnic jokes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and at the same time, love and cherish this Latino, this Mexican American woman. People are complicated. Yeah, people are complicated. <laughs> people are complicated. And I think it's much more complicated. Like, like, look, I, I won't speak for my mom, but uh, 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 if there was prejudice, she was. It was not news to her, mm. right? Because it was something that was systemic. It's something that she was born into. She wasn't coming home every day in tears, like, oh, I can't tell you about it. it wasn't. Son. Yeah. It wasn't news. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. And I think to to sort of a broader, like, contemporary conversation. Um, none of this is news, yeah. you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, oh I ha- no, I have a lot of conversations with people who are who seem to think that racism has suddenly um, sprouted <laughs> or has suddenly grown, yeah. and I'm like, no, it just has a little bit more self-esteem right now. Like, it is 
it's been a it's a constant yeah through your life and before it it's always been there yep always I mean I my dad uh, I was in a store with my dad and he went a it was like a clothing store it was like a uh, a, a Sears or floor walkers <laughs> no it wasn't that what oh, no. Okay. No, uh, no, 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 go on. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, it wasn't even a floor walker. No, no, okay. no. You, I know you have that. You, you uh, like some uh, one of, but one of the cashiers came up and was like, "Are you okay?" Basically asking like, "Have I like, have I been kidnapped?" Like speaking directly to you. Yeah, yeah. it came up to me because my dad was over looking at some suits or something. It was like, "No, I'm fine." It just I was you know a dumb little bull. I was like, I didn't understand what was happening. Years later, it occurred to me, oh, that guy thought I was being kidnapped. He was just being nice. Uh, at the time, Ish. yeah, that's like, amazing. <laughs> More importantly, though, if your mom was traveling through South, Central America yeah. in the what the the sixties, seventies, late sixties. Uh, well, I guess she, I guess that was the early seventies. Was she then. was she a Marxist? Is that what we're were we burying the lead here? No, she, she, <laughs> she's a revolutionary. You might have heard of her. She, a couple of bombings, um, like a lot of berets. Growing <laughs> up with lots of berets. Like, she went with a friend. She was traveling from Massachusetts. I think she went in her car. This is back in the day when you would do that sort of thing. Thing, and she went with a friend, and her friend bailed on her. So she wound up going to sit. This is kind of ballsy of her. She went to Central America on her own, basically. Just, That's you know, incredible. took in the culture and was like hanging out. She spoke fluent Spanish. So, and she just, she's one of those people who just really wanted to get to know the world. And it's funny because later on, she became this uh, completely. Not uh, not culturally closed off, but like she became like a little bit of a shut in, and just she wouldn't drive on like the street, the main street in our hometown of Framingham. Like she became so afraid of the outside world, it was like uh, it's like she spent all her I'm gonna get to know the world capital. Like yeah, well, maybe yeah. the world changed, but she didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, vice versa. It is interesting how parents kind of uh, who they end up is very incongruous with the person. Yeah. Because like I still Your mom. I I Your argue dad. with my mom all the time, and my favorite thing to say to her is because she's very conservative and religious, and uh, I say to her, "Well, you're the reason I'm liberal," and she, it infuriates right. her. But it's uh, I have two very good reasons why. One is when I was like five or six, and all the little girls in the neighborhood were becoming cheerleaders for the Pee Wee football team because that's a thing that still happens. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I was like, "Mom, I want to become a cheerleader," and she says, sits me down and says. Do you want to play a sport or do you want to cheer for someone playing a sport? Nice. And I was like, oh, uh, I think I want to play basketball and softball instead. <laughs> so that's one. Like that. That's, that's just a that's just a feminist statement. Um, all, building off of that, she um, uh, the rec center basketball team was only for boys, and she got me on the team. Like she pissed everybody in town off with that. But Does the second, she self-identify as a feminist? No, That's she hates it. It makes her very angry. This is I would Alabama love in the eighties. I would yeah. love to talk about that. I, yeah, you know, to, um, the the action versus the um, the, the, the title, the the language. Oh, oh. Yeah, she gets caught up on the word, and right. uh, and that's. But her actions at the I'm time, sorry, at you, least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I find the, that fascinating. The mm -hmm. uh, the other thing she did was in. Um, again, this is. I grew up in Alabama, uh, small town Alabama, not mm. not the big city Birmingham, just outside of Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, I've um, been to Birmingham. Yeah, <laughs> we were in the greater Birmingham area. Oh, nice. Um, Bridges. Alabama's but, infested with a, with possums. The worst. <laughs> That's all it is. Oh, possum country. I've only ever it. seen a dead possum. I've oh, never I've seen, seen a them live alive. Possum. They are the worst. They are. Do you know that they have creatures. a special gland that secretes the smell of rotting flesh? To, to kind of buttress the subterfuge of their playing dead. Wow. So they've evolved to create a gland that cre that creates a rot smell. That's fantastic. So it's your favorite animal is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to, I just had to share that. I, I have 12 at home. No, no, no. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's okay. Um, so I have that gland too. <laughs> I own stock in Glade. I own stock in Glade. I buy I enough. I smell like I... I'm dying, but I'm not. <laughs> 
Anyways, we're having drinks tomorrow. Come on up. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, second thing my mom did uh, that made me progressive was in 1987 in Alabama, uh, she started doing AIDS education at uh-huh. junior high schools and high schools. And she the AIDS education was not what you think it might be in Alabama. <laughs> it was, she told people how exactly how you could get it, how you could not get it. You can't Toilets. get it from a toilet seat. Right. And she uh, she did like sex ed, like safe sex, like this is a condom, this is how you use it. Of course wow. she said, I would rather you not have sex, but if you're right. going to do this. And she taught kids that they should not be afraid of people who have AIDS. Um, and again, 1987 in Alabama, Reagan had barely said AIDS right. at that point. Yeah. That, that, um, that, that, that's a point of, of, of similarity that I get too, because mm-hmm. like 87, 88, my, my dad who worked in democratic conservative politics, uh, was he a Reagan crat basically? No, he worked for a, for a, for a, a, a protege of, of Lyndon Johnson. So, okay. So yeah, yeah. Texas Democrat, uh, conservative sure. Democrat, yeah. uh, pro, pro business, but they liked, uh, black people. Um, and I was thinking about this the other day, but the, the, 88 was the year, uh, that my dad became very involved with me about AIDS. And I was talking with someone the other day about the most formative political th- events in my life, and one, of course, was you know, 9-11. I mm-hmm. was what, 27, 26. And, 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 and AIDS, in 88 through, and, and activism and the art and the, the fear mm-hmm. and how, for a long time, the association between sex and death mm-hmm. and what an enormous uh, thing that was. In re- you know, we, we didn't live through the free love 60s and 70s but to have your sexual awakening uh happen during the time of yeah it crisis. was you know yeah. um um i i was a peer counselor in college i because i saved myself my gentle my my, my, my beautiful virginity <laughs> until i was 18 and i remember being a peer i was a peer counselor uh-huh. and it was very important i think to put the fear of god in heterosexuals Otherwise, the legislate. Otherwise, it would not have uh, that community, the, the the gay community. They needed that alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I was, you know, quilt. I was. I, I did the whole thing. I was a peer counselor, and I remember, I remember counseling frat boys to double wrap it. Hey, bro. <laughs> I was like, look, safe sex, right, bro? You get it, bro? <laughs> like, you need to put two condoms on your dick. <laughs> It's totally like a bra. safety condom. Totally, bro. Because if you and and to a certain degree, it became there, there came a point where it, it was a little irrational. Yeah. Um. Um. But yeah, I had associated sex and death in just the, intimately, it, and it reflected yeah. in my poetry. Um, <laughs> oh, but I just, I just, I, but I, I thought that was really, poems. I thought that's really interesting. It was eighty-seven, eighty-eight, when things slowly began to turn. At, at least for in the heterosexual and conservative and religious mm-hmm. sort of communities. The give a fuck meter sort of tilted towards uh, look, give sa- a fuck. Safe sex was not a concept before HIV. It was a it was a medical and political concept that was good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it was just you like, know. you know, if you had an STD, it was like, uh, it burns to pee jokes. Well, it was, it was, but it was a little different being a woman because yeah. you know, that like you're, as a young girl growing up, and well one, you're taught that you should not have these desires right. and and so that the shame thing is a whole other aspect but i was convinced that if i had sex i would definitely get pregnant the first time no matter what oh, really? protection i was using so it was like the double whammy of being afraid of aids and stds but also 
God was going to punish me and make me get pregnant That's immediately. Yeah. The, the pregnancy thing was a was a fear of mine, mm-hmm. but I began to do my own research and and you know into into the epidemic and and it was it's it was a terrible disease. Mm-hmm. It wiped out an entire generation of people. I, it, it's just I, I think as we get farther away from it, I, I I don't think people can really wrap their head around the magnitude of it. But it was it was it was biblical. It was terrifying, yeah. and it yep. did two things. You know, one is that my parents began to talk to me not just about abs, uh, abstaining. Mm-hmm. It forced them to have this kind of like, look, if you do have sex, right? Mm-hmm. Because like you know, uh, which they would never have had if this if this wasn't present. Uh, you know, and which just reinforces this idea that sex and death are are the same thing, and in many ways, guys, they are. <laughs> That's shit, shit, bro. Yeah, shit. You just explained yeah. a lot of things oh, for me, man. Oh, we gotta stop this podcast. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta ruminate about this. But you know, love, you're... love, love, and loss. You didn't yeah. see um, the sincere, the fake sincere look of sincerity in his, as he um, stared into our you're eyes. You're right about it being. I had never really thought about. It in quite that way that it really was a political awakening for a lot of young people because to me it I, I didn't understand the fact that so many people were dying and no. it was political it's like no yeah. people are dying we need to solve this and I think for my mom it was less political but she just thought it was cruel but, and as a nurse she couldn't stand right. that that's, cruelty that's an inter- and look po- political is is personal mm-hmm. it, you know and and it was just a uh, it was a dark and also hopeful time. Um, you know, I remember reading Angels in America mm-hmm. in high school as like a, like a, a teenager. Wow. It blowing my brain, even though I didn't really understand it. My, <laughs> we both also we went to theater school, didn't we? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My audition to get into theater school was the big Roy Cohn <laughs> really? no. monologue where he where he says I you know he says I'm not a homo you know he's be he, yeah. it's the scene where he's told that he has HIV. Yeah he's like I'm not and he denies that. it. He's like I am not a homosexual. So there there is there is dumpy 18 year old John Divorce summoning <laughs> That's a, a 68 an evil 68 year old closeted homosexual friend of Joe McCarthy <laughs> I'm talking probably in a what's probably an offensive Jewish accent. <laughs> and I went in there and I was like, hi, my name is John DeVore and I will be performing the role of Roy Cohn oh. from Angels in America. Roy Cohn is not a homosexual. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, dude, I did. But I, but I, I, that's I a believe lot did you just I, scream all the lines? I was like, I'm, I'm Roy Cohn. <laughs> um, I believed it. I, you know, I that that play and that play, that plays an amazing example of how art can can boil down politics to the human mm-hmm. and sell it oh, and and give it to someone who has that who does not have that experience. Well, speaking and of, then you, you can know. Fe- and, and then you can feel, uh, yep. you, know, you know, empathize. Uh, it's a remarkable work, and it wasn't the only work of art that did that during that era. Yeah, no, 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 but th- but that's another, you know, the gay community is another, especially in that era. So that's a that's something you would have zero insight into unless you are a part of it. Mm-hmm. You're you are an outsider to that to that subculture, and it's unless you you know unless you have some sort of you know a familial in right. or a good friend, so you can just at least see it from second hand yeah. up close. You just you know, I because I read that too in high school, uh, or maybe it was uh, the beginning of college. But it was just, it was. I, I look, I didn't understand half of it. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's like it's, I, I get there's there's something really beautiful and epic here, but I just it right. wasn't being processed the way you know I could I, you could 
take the difficult language of Shakespeare and understand, you know, oh, this king, this guy wants to be king and he's a total piece of shit, but he's really good at being a piece of shit. You can get that story. This was almost way, this was, it was not even almost, this was way harder because it was just, it was so close but so very different that, from anything and then, and then you had so much of culture that made fun of that yeah. community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, like I'm a, a born in the 70s. You know, there yeah. were a, a, a gay jokes and heterosexual yeah. prejudice. All mm-hmm. of these things that, you know, it was pushing back against a lot of heteronormative culture that was afraid and dismissive. And all that's gone now. So, I mean, yeah, we're, we're living in a golden age. But, uh, one, one last thing on this. Uh, uh, speaking of, of high art, after-school specials do not get the credit that they deserve in the 80s, especially, because uh, I remember seeing a little film called The Truth About Alex. Um, Who's in that? Which one is that? I, we're going to have to fact check me on this. I want to say Scott Bayo's in it, it? Um, but it's probably not. Um, but uh, this, the truth about Alex, it was about, you know, a, you know, young football, high school football mm-hmm. team. And I, the quarterback or one of the top players is Alex and he's gay and right. he has to come out to his best friend. And it's it's really hard I, for him. And uh, it, but, that. but that that was one of the things that educated me, like right. literally coming home after I've school. Ne- and this was on. I, 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 I lived that. I never saw that. You had a friend from uh, who like came out to you, like I did. He was my he was one of my best friends, and I remember that he came out to me because I told him a gay joke. Oh, really? what did he? What did and he I like? Remember, a... I remember the gay joke, and oh. apparently he had been telling other friends that he was gay, and he had not told me because he was afraid how I'd react. Hmm. So I bound up to him and I told him a gay joke. That I thought was hilarious because I was a young, I was like what, fifteen. Young and full of beans. And it was like, how do you fit? How do you sit three gays? I didn't use that word. <laughs> at a bar, and I said, you turn the stool over. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. because you're yeah. fifteen yeah. and butts are funny. Butts are and the things, best. Things that are things that are strange and things that all butts are butts are not only funny but you're scared of 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 pleasures <laughs> that are so alien and so far away but so close and then my friend wasn't going to take it and he punched me what oh i mean awesome and I, and- he punched me in the stomach <laughs> and i went what what do that and i ran away crying and then however long later he found me like in the bleachers Oh, man. Why did my best friend hit me? <laughs> and he was like, I'm gay. And I was like, oh, you mean, you, but you still like me? <laughs> We're still friends? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't really understand what's going on, but if you still like me, we're still friends, can we hang out? We take so long to process shit. Uh, and like, you know, stupid creatures we are. Right, but, you know, this is a guy who I, I, you know, would, would in his first efforts to have a boyfriend, I think, at one point, was chased around the neighborhood by that boy's father. So, yeah. so wow. it wasn't, you know, it was a different, yeah. dramatically different era. Mm-hmm. And Although again, I'm sure those stories are still all over the place. Oh, absolutely. You know, not I, I, I would like to think that there's more places, there's more places, yeah, uh, and more acceptance. Um, but it was just a formative. It was just a crazy, yeah, mm-hmm. just a crazy time. Sex and love and death, all all wrapped up, and so much fear mm-hmm. and hate. And hope, but it was a pretty apocalyptic time, and I, 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 I think people, especially now, need to, need to know that there have been a. I mean, it was a, it was an apocalyptic time. You know, AIDS has become a bit of a. You know, it's a joke. 
Right. People like to make, you know, like Holocaust jokes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, they're and not I get afraid it. of it anymore. We right, conquered right. it. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I, you know, and I and I understand that comedic impulse. Uh, but it was an apocalypse. It was an absolute apocalypse. There were tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people who were touched by by just a, just a, it was just a scythe, a mm-hmm. horror horror story. Yeah. yeah, there was nobody that didn't know somebody minimum, like good friend or family member in that community that wasn't dying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I want to actually, uh, I want to pivot to something that we normally start the show with um, and uh, and ask you just kind of like focusing on death for a second, um, but in a charming childhood anecdote sort of way. <laughs> um, John, do you recall, <laughs> it's great, it's super it's fun. fun. Uh, John, do you recall, uh, we'd like fun. to ask people, uh, uh, you know, it, it's called My First Time. Do you remember a time, the time period when you found out what death was uh, or had an inkling of it and that it was something that would happen to you and everybody and everything? Like a point of mortality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be the horror of or just something definitive struck you. You know, a lot of times it's like my rabbit died. That is interesting because, I, you know, it, it is such an enormous part of life. And I, 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 the acceptance of death is a, is a process because, you know, I, I had a pet snake die. Mm. A pet um, snake? But that doesn't... Um, Nobody's weirded about that. I think it was a little garter <laughs> snake. It wasn't like I wasn't like a little oh, okay. Chris Angel walking around with a giant albino python. Like, oh it was God. like a little little garter snake. Um, I had pets that died, but I don't know if mortality hits you. Mm. I, I certainly, going back to our conversation about about AIDS, I, I certainly had a fear of if not death, then the sickness and the death. Uh, uh, you know, because I had seen it. I, you know, I had a teacher who died of it, um, and that he was really the first person who I'd ever seen terminally sick. Oh, he was wow. my uh, he was my theater teacher, and he was one of those teachers that that kind of you know confused, creative, chubby kids need in high school. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I yeah. saw him decline. Um, you know, death did not really come into focus until I was much older, into my 20s, when my dad died after a long battle with uh, cancer. Mm. Um, he had, what kind of cancer did he have? Oh, the bad kind. The, the kind that kills you. Oh, um, that's too bad, because <laughs> he, 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 he didn't had, have 24-hour yeah. cancer? Oh. He, did, he did not have that. Uh, he, had, he, he had lung cancer. Ah, my grandfather died of that. Right, which, but, but uh, you know, cancer is a, is a, is a, just a just a has a it keeps giving it really does um he had technically defeated it uh defeated it defeated yeah whatever Def- um smith but the radiation one of the side effects of radiation is leukemia mm-hmm. so that is what and of course you don't really die from cancer you die from Your any number body. of related right. Yeah. right and look uh, you know bring back up again my latino heritage mm. like you know the mexicans yep. love to celebrate they have a, you know uh, death with colors mm mm-hmm. mhm um, um, so I'm naturally morbid. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. No religious thing. Nothing like there wasn't a church moment where they're like, "Hey, uh, your body." It, I, I'll say this: worms, it, is, it has been ashes. a it has been a theme my entire life. Okay. Because um, I'm naturally morbid, but it wasn't until I snuck into Splash. the ICU after my dad died. Oh, whoops. Uh, to see his body. Oh, and shit. I don't. I don't know. I, s- s- snuck in is not not the word. He had he had he had just died, and so it was an empty room, and the family was in uh, was was grieving and doing paperwork, and I wanted to 
and it was a childlike moment because I, I just wanted to make sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's like yeah. those old stories about um how in the 19th century they'll they'll bury people with a little yeah. bell. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I just it was and it was very um oh, it was very um uh, primal. I, I I had to go and make sure, and I went in there, and they had removed the tubes, and. You know those those tubes are violent, um, um, and so the you know the mouth is agape, mm-hmm. and there's no muscles to hold the, the mouth closed. In the movies, when people are dead and their mouths are closed, you're like, nah, not really. Right. Um, the muscles are totally relaxed. And I, uh, you know, and I just kind of like, did you touch him? You know, I did. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess my my older brother, when my dad was on the ventilator, my old brother gave him uh, foot massages. Because uh, he used to do that as a kid, mm-hmm. I, I never did, and so I tried to give him one just to see. Um, oh, that was a moment where I was like, "All right, nothing is th- there." Yeah. yeah. And then I went into a place where I was like, "Well, what what is death? Do I believe in heaven? What is oblivion?" You know, I used to tell myself, "I," I and and you know, and I was drinking during that time. And the, let me tell you, when you're an alcoholic and your parent dies, you're just like, ah. Sluice is open. Uh, yeah, right. I was like, <laughs> let's I was, go. I was like, green light. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 so yeah, I wrestled a lot with that because I, I began to become afraid again mm-hmm. of death. But uh, it didn't stay lodged in you forever. You know what I used to tell myself to bring myself into, um, in to make myself feel. I, 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 I created kind of like a mantra, and that was, um. I would not fear death because that oblivion, that non-existence that is coming is something that we are familiar with. We are afraid of not existing, but we're not necessarily afraid of not having existed. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I, I would ask myself, and I remember thinking this very clearly at a bar, I was like, I don't have an innate fear of where I've come from. I'm not afraid that I wasn't around for World War II or the Depression or Woodstock. So why would I be afraid of returning to a state that I came from that I don't have any, you know, there's no primal. There's no frame of reference. Well, there's, it's not like we have baked into us this fear of all of a sudden we started existing. You know, mm-hmm. like, like you Poof. know, it's, it's almost as if, you know, babies cry when they come out of the womb because yeah. they're like, I don't want to be here. What am I? <laughs> what am I? Where, where I was was fine. So that's, uh, I, you know, I, I went through a protracted period where I was like, you know, where I, I had to rationalize, you know, and what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of not existing? Are you afraid of suffering? Are you afraid of weakening? Um, are, you know, and eventually I was like, well, no, what you're afraid of is, is losing because yeah. our society is all about have, 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 have. And the truth is you don't get to have anything. Yeah. You get to oh, love certain things. Yeah. You get to love certain people and certain things. And then you have to learn how to lose them because you're going to lose them. You're going to lose your youth. You're going to use your lose your career. You're going to lose your partner. You're going to lose it all. Your strength, your beauty, and so how you lose it is important, and that's what we should focus on. And so that's that's that. And this has been stupid human suits. <laughs> God, what? Jesus, this got good. You can't. You can't this was end great. it right there, though. No, that was. No, we're going to end it on a moment of hope. But yeah, that was that was great. That was like I want to cry. That's, no. This is life. This is what this show is. The show is about the fucking clunky awkwardness of being these stupid creatures trapped in these stupid fucking bodies. That's true. And there's nothing. There's nothing. 
There's nothing suave about this. Sean, tell me everything's going to be okay in Spanish. It's in I, Spanish. I, I, hola, agua. I, I want to hear your Spanish. Soy agua. I want to hear your Spanish. Comprende. No, 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 no. Not your comedy white boy Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. You just said that you did. No, he you did. Didn't he lost hear. it. I lost it. You missed How that part. How do you lose that? Well, I, I didn't just don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> my mom, I begged my mom not to talk, speak Spanish to me. Yeah, no, I, but but how, like, innately, like, there's not a part of you. Well, you were like three the or accent, four, The right? accent, that, that, that is something that is. I was like five or. But oh. that is something baked into you. That's what everybody said. But then, you know, people would speak Spanish to me when I was like seven or eight. And it was, it was as if. It's it's almost like I had a traumatic event and b- blocked it because by the time it was time to pick a language, I picked uh. French. I did French because I was like, you know what? You telling me it's in there. I just go back to it. My, ma- my, my mom at French? one point, my, my mom, my mom at one point was like, let's let me te- let's te- let's learn Spanish. And I was like, no, mom, I like to learn French. <laughs> and, she was like, and I was like, so I can be special. The only reason I ever passed Spanish class is because the Spanish teachers who were only ever who were college kids yeah. who had spoken Spanish six months in Madrid yeah, yeah, were yeah. so thrilled to road test their Spanish on my for real Mexican mom. She would show up every so often and then they would just pass me. So yeah. you just forgot it. That's fascinating. You're okay. just a conduit for their happiness, yeah, for right. their approval. That's, that's great. It. Yeah, no, I, I just, it's it's gone. People I, say it's still lodged in there, but. Yeah, that's know. what I was getting. I, I just, on a certain, maybe I wanted to hear your accent. I wish I had one, man. No. I mean, so I had to call my. uh Massachusetts my, is so lame. My, I'd have my, we had, <laughs> in the last place we were living in, we had, our landlord had a, a plumber show up and he only spoke Spanish. I had to call my cousin Nikki in Virginia. Oh, that was so sad. Yeah, and she had to translate for this really nice Dominican guy. Uh, what was going on and she start like he starts laughing and I hear her laughing and I was like I know you're talking about me I was like were you guys laughing about how I don't speak Spanish She's like yeah we're just making fun of you it's like oh alright well uh. we're gonna do um, we're gonna end this but we're gonna do two quick things before we end okay um, we are gonna do how our bodies are failing us this week yep and uh, John um, I'll, I'll give you a moment to think about this yeah we'll uh, do ours but uh, so mine this week um, this is actually from New Year's Eve uh I bought a pair of pantyhose. They were brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean and I have not gone out on New Year's Eve for years, and we decided, yeah, I don't you know, do it, that. it's horrible. We, but we decided we're going to split the difference. We're going to make a reservation at a little restaurant bar we like. We were going to sit at the bar, and they were going to bring us food, and and we'd go there, we'd do it, and then we'd go home after yep. midnight. And so it was like a nice contained thing. So I wanted to dress nicely. You did. So I had the uh, the she pantyhose, did. and I'm in the bathroom um, trying. I bought larges. They should have been fine. Um, I'm trying to pull them up, and they're the tightest fucking pantyhose I've ever put on in my life. I got them above the knee, and it's at that beautiful moment where your your fat is kind of bubbled over <laughs> the top of the pantyhose. And um, uh, I'm yanking really hard on them to try to get them up, and suddenly uh, my hands feel strange, and I let go of the pantyhose. And uh, you can't see this because it's a podcast, but my thumbs locked into place <laughs> So that I had these little claws and I couldn't move. I had to massage her thumbs. And I just started going, help, help, help. <laughs> I massaged oh her God. thumbs and then I pulled her pantyhose up for her. It was, oh I was like, do I need to wipe your bum bum, sweetie? That's the most beautiful story ever. Yeah. That's love. It was very sad. Decrepi- decrepitude froze your hands into lobster claws. <laughs> <laughs> And then we went out and had a great night, but like that's gonna happen again. That's coming again. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Good for you. My uh, I'll do my stupid how my body's uh, 
failing me uh, is just uh, I have back problems and leg problems because I've had tendonitis for two years and uh, uh, it's it's never fully gone away. And now that it's cold, it's really bad. So I have to whenever I'm walking our dogs, I have to stop, pull over, and sit for a while on the bench. And when it's snowing out or when it's cold, one of our dogs, Fenny, she's this little like she looks like this small Tibetan sort of dog, Tibetan terrier, and she's she loves the cold weather. And she like when it's cold out, she wants to run everywhere. But because I have to sit every few benches she's gotten really slow and i feel like my illness has caused our dog to have that sort of psychosomatic illness or she just feels really bad for me and is just she's really really just lax she's just she's on the way home on the way there she's just she she's slogging she doesn't enjoy the walks anymore because i can't run with her and yeah our dog is you sad. Our dog. No, oh. she should be enjoying. Like this should be her. She's like what the equivalent of being in her forties. She should be like having, you know, uh, pool like, tables. Like she's in a pharmaceutical ta- commercial. Yeah, she's yeah. out there living life. She, yeah. should, she should be in a clawfoot she, yeah. bathtub on the beach. <laughs> she should be th- yeah, she should be thinking about what she's gonna do when she was retiring. You know, gonna be on a sailboat or sad. How about you, John? I my body has been in a constant state of of failure since I was a very young mm-hmm. man. It's Good. a reflection of my my inner life. But um I I did have this moment at the new the delightful place where I'm working now. Their Christmas mm-hmm. party was a big fancy affair. Uh DJ by a, by a, by a famous person oh. that I won't get into. All right. And I would say all the millennials. God bless them. <laughs> I love them. Um, I, I like working with them because uh-huh. they like to talk about their feelings. And finally, <laughs> there's a generation that likes to do that. And I like to talk about my feelings. Um, so it's great. Just 42-year-old me and 25-year-old them just yeah. talking about our feelings. Uh, and, you know, I, I've been to many Christmas parties in the past, corporate whore that I am. And there was a point where they're all drinking. I'm not drinking. But they're dancing. I was like, I'm going to dance. Right, preview. <laughs> right, and I'm like, I dance. Yeah, I'm trying to five <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Well, He's got, dancing right oh, now. Oh, I wish I, you guys I, could see just, this. You know, you know look, mellow. <laughs> just not, not, I'm participating. I'm dancing. Yeah, you're dancing. Five minutes, I dance, and then at the end of that five minutes, I'm like, whew. That's a lot of dancing. That's I gotta, too much I gotta, dancing. I'm going to go back over there and have a seat. And all the other millennials, like, five minutes is their warm-up. Because yeah. they're going to go for another 10 or 15 minutes. Yep. And so intermittently, you know, because I'm, I'm, having, I'm, having, I'm having fun. Yeah. So every so often, I'm like, I'm going to go back in for another, you know, 45 seconds. <laughs> right? Just moving my hips, doing a little footwork. Oh, that was good. Dancing. I'm like, whoo. That's a workout. Gotta go have some pre-cut um, finger sandwiches. And there was just a moment there where I was like, "I am." That's it. Not twenty-five. That and the fact that they were serving sliders, and I'm like, "I'm an adult." <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, "Give me the full it, burger." Right. I'm yeah. like, "I'm like, it's a Christmas party. Yeah. You spent a lot of money here. I, I, I'm sorry. I need some adult food." We saved twelve dollars. No, it wasn't what? the same. It wasn't the savings. It was the fact that, as a consensus, sure, yeah. everyone asked all the twenty-five-year-olds asked them what's delicious sliders, and the majority of them went, mm, "Sliders are really sliders, good." Bro. And no one asked me where I'm like, "Yeah, it's you know, why not a chicken nugget bar?" Yeah, <laughs> which chicken is nugget. fine, but like not like again. Adult-y. A nice Not Greek adult. salad. I'm like, hey guys, we're adulting, and I'm like, yes, you are. Yeah, look at you, those with your mini baby burgers. You know.
Tiny oh. baby burgers. All right, well, let's... Uh, let's yeah, couldn't there be, like, a nice soup? Like a good <laughs> broth? Yeah. Like a good broth? Oh. I, when, that, when they started... When those sliders started coming out, I was like, well, what does Jerry O'Connell have to do with this? Because I love that show. <laughs> sliders. Oh, wow. Wow, the podcast is over. Yeah, That's well, amazing. As soon as he mentions Jerry O'Connell, <laughs> it's over. So um, uh, John, uh, we'd like to end every episode with a secular prayer we wrote. Uh, if you would like to take part. I, yes, absolutely. Um, I'm I've, a spiritual man. I've pre-underlined lines for you, because we do it around Robin style. We yeah, find we that that's a nice really way to, to make oh, okay. it happen. We're so and this ass. is a, it's just a nice, hopeful message for everybody as we end today's show. Yeah. Thank you Thank for Thank you listening. for underlining because I can't count. Well, you know, it's helpful. That's good. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm starting. Yes, You're I'm, starting. Starting. I'm Ooh, starting. And I'm third. I'm, I'm underlined. You're underlined. I'm underlined too. It's not for you. So I'm second. You're second. All right, I'm second. Can we cut all of that out? <laughs> no, that's part of the... This is how the sausage is made for these for our podcast slider. I want to do the secular prayer. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, bro. Bro. Don't. <clears throat> what does that mean? Our fellow humans who aren't here and now. Hallowed be thy consciousness. Thy kingdom floats. In a universe so vast, it's like totally bananas, man. Therefore, be kind to each other. And don't eat so much bread. Ask forgiveness of your trespasses. And forgive those who trespass against you. Because all of us can be really fucking annoying. For thou art the mind inside thine stupid human suit. The only one of its kind. We are thus also. And that must simply be enough. Amen. Ah, oh, woman. Oh, it's from yay. Home for the Holidays. A movie a no one's movie. seen but us. I know. Um, thank you for uh, <laughs> yeah. listening to Stupid Human Suits. Thank, thank you, you John DeVore. John DeVore, follow him, please, at John DeVore, D-E-V-O-R-E. And thank you to our producer, Megan. Thank you, Megan. Yay. And thank you to Death for informing this. <laughs> Jesus, baby. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to mention Death on our Death podcast. All right, good point. This is Stupid Human Suits. Bye. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.